You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. What up, AV nerds? Welcome to this week's episode of the Forever on the Fly podcast, your biweekly dose of aviation inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Diane. And what up, homies? My name is Jose, and we're here to get you guys hooked on on aviation. Episode numero dos. This week, our guest needs no big introduction, but we're going to give it to him anyways. Yeah, he's kind of a certified badass between having been the lead at 16 demonstration pilot for the Air Force, his multiple deployments overseas, and now he's flying 777s, flying cargo internationally. He's here to chat about his life on the road as a cargo pilot and his experience in the Air Force. Without further ado, please welcome Major John Rain Waters. There I was, knee deep in I'm John Waters, and I'm forever on the fly. Well, hi, John. Welcome to the show, man. It's been a minute since uh, the little AOPA career day thing that we did together. It's crazy. I guess that was July. I was just thinking, like, the year is over. Like, this is just wild. What a, I mean, it's cliche to say, but I mean, 2020, what a year, right? Yeah, it just flew by. (laughs) And right now, you are currently in Japan. I am. So working for a big cargo company, how long are your trips usually? Two weeks is usually what it is. I'm halfway through this one. I get home, if all goes to plan, I land in Memphis at like 11.55 p.m. on the 23rd. And then I have a Delta flight on Christmas Eve morning to get home. Like there's no telling. Like it changes so fast. Like normally this would be set in stone, but COVID, everything's out the window. Yeah. So we could get revised. Like normally I haven't gotten revised yet, knock on wood. But like most trips end up with like five to like 14 revisions nowadays. Wow. So so revisions means like, it's just like fluid. They could change it on you. Yeah. You thought you were going to Sydney and now you're going to China and Europe. And then, yeah. So you bounce all over the place. It's just, yeah, it's wild. I mean, I had one, we had a crew who tested positive. This is back like in April. Two guys tested positive when they were in China. But the night before there was six other crew members in a lounge so they have to assume all eight of those are bad. Yeah. So they put them on a triple seven and they part 91 flew a triple seven from China to Anchorage. That way it got rid of all the requirements for three crew members, four crew members, even though they're all there and they could operate um, just to get them out of China. But it ended up working out for me, but it revised me and cut my trip way short. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's wild. You just don't know what's going to happen these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as like your work life balance is, is it pretty, I mean, how is it like right now working for the air cargo company that you work for and is it a good work life balance? For me, it is. It's, it's different. So I have a five-year-old and the, my trip typically looks like two weeks on. And then depending on where my next trip lands, like two to four weeks off. So that two to four weeks off is phenomenal. Um, being gone for two weeks sucks, but being able to, you know, we're recording this, I'm in Japan, you know, technology is amazing. So like FaceTime obviously brings you closer, but it does stink to be gone that long. It's cliche to say, but like after two weeks, I'm like, ah, I feel like he is, he's changed. Um, but given the current environment, right. Like I got a lot of buddies who are worried about job security right now. I'm not. Uh, the cargo world is is booming and staying really busy, which is awesome. Again, I'm incredibly fortunate to be where I'm at today. And then COVID, 
makes the road suck. I'll be honest. I mean, it sucks for everyone, uh, but you typically go from place to place. So hotel room to fly in a plane for five to 12 hours to hotel room to fly in a plane for five to 12 hours, uh, which definitely wears on you. So having to be creative with like hotel room workouts. How do you manage like a decent diet? Um, again, these are all first world problems that I live with, Yeah, uh, but it, it just kind of, it's a different, different time, you know, as we all know. So I hear that, man. Man. Yeah. Well, you know, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool job you got. I think I think it's both in both worlds, you know, I thought yeah, it was a cool job. I'm, I'm fortunate again to have the experiences I've had to be able to do what I've been able to do. Um, flying cargo and you were kind of talking about four, you know, I mean, I'm F 16 doing demo landing at, you know, 19, 20,000 pounds and now landing at 540,000 pounds, taking off at 766,000 pounds. Like it's mind boggling, but the triple seven, like it, it is an amazing piece of machinery and just fly. I mean, hand flying it around. It's, it's hand flying around. It's awesome. It's a great, it's a great plane. And it's a different challenge for me. Like it is, yeah. you know, all the automation I'm used to, I'm not used to having all the automation. So learning that piece is, probably the biggest challenge for me. I hear that, man. I was, uh, in a 757 and I was jump seating. So I would mean, I was just there kind of along for the ride and we did a cat three approach into Denver because there was like <laughs> uh, ice fog and I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I wanted to be like, go around, go around. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm part of the crew. Go around. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I'm going to be an accident report. <laughs> I mean, landing without seeing the runway, auto brakes. I mean, wild, right? It's yeah. wild what these planes can do. It's wild, wild. man. And then, yeah, that like dangerous. It, and then even like the taxiing part, like I, I just remember vividly like taxiing to the gate area and having like the marshallers on their like cars come out to actually get you to the gate. Cause you can't even see the gate signs. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow, we're at Bravo 17. I think we're in somewhere in the <laughs> Northwest. <laughs> I hope your iPads have geo referencing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> request progressive taxi. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just we're tell me when to turn. We're going to need a marshaller with like a fire torch. I can't see squat. I don't even know what that's like. I don't know. <laughs> I've never flown a day of IFR in my life. I think maybe I got to fly in the clouds one time in the 109 on an IFR flight plan, but that's about it. You're not, not missing anything. I am looking forward to I, I'm about to start flying a Cirrus and hopefully get into the Cirrus jet um, that my buddy has. So um, That'd be cool, be yeah. Building some, building some IFR experience there, so... Get, get yeah. into something a little different. I mean, it's not a triple seven, but <laughs> it's I know. different yeah. from anything I'm used to. I've never <laughs> flown a jet before. That I, should be fun. I do have a question. Does a triple seven have like that trim chain that's like on a 737 or seven? You know, like when you hit the trim and you hear that huge lugging chain go, you know? Yeah, like, no, like, it's it, yeah, all, all, all digital, all electronic. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that with the 737, I mean, it's just. They just copy, paste, copy, paste over the years. But inherently, it's like the same plane that was rolled off the assembly line yeah. like years ago. Triple seven, different. I mean, it's all all digital, all electronic, all Gucci. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah, it's nice. Dang, <laughs> man. Yeah. Sounds so fancy. It does sound fancy. 
You've been, you've been getting really good at your sound effects lately. I've been oh, very yeah? impressed. I watched uh, Police Academy. <laughs> I drew up my inspiration from one of the characters in that movie. <laughs> so you're flying the triple sevens now. Yeah, big old plane. Woo, yeah, that's a big boy. Yeah, that is. Yeah, big. <laughs> <laughs> go from an F-16 landing at about nineteen thousand pounds to landing at five hundred forty thousand pounds. So, holy five hundred forty thousand pounds! <laughs> What's the stall speed on that thing? <laughs> yeah, it, oh yeah. I mean, it's what's wild. It's, I think the slowest I ever landed F-16 was about one hundred and fifty knots, and that's like basically out of gas, no stores on the jet. Um, so 150 knots and it's not uncommon to be in the low one forties, you know, on an approach speed here and like 150 in the Viper was, that's it. Like you're, you're not going slower than that until your wheels are down on the ground, you know? Uh, so it's completely different. Super high stall speed. Yeah. Those Mm. swept back wings. (laughs) And and fun fact, like the Viper doesn't stall. Like you can't stall it. It just wants to keep flying. No way. Yeah. It'll fall like a leaf, but it just wants to keep falling, flying. (laughs) Yeah, the min runway length, so for most, is 8,000 feet. Yeah, it's like you got to have 8,000 feet. But, I mean, a wet runway, if you're combat configured and you're carrying, like, divert gas, and I mean, it can get kind of sporty, depending on... Get a little saucy, huh? Yeah, I mean, you're going 200 knots across the threshold and weigh really heavy. Like, it just wants to keep going. Got to get those grooved runways. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get the call sign John Rainwaters? Out of curiosity, did you just rain hellfire over all of your enemies? Or I wish it was that. Uh, So one, it's going to take a couple beers to get it out of me. And anyone who tells you their call sign right out the get go, they're lying to you. So don't don't believe anything they say. It should take a couple beers before you get the true call sign. I will give you it. It is an acronym, and it also is a play on my last name. So. Oh, all right. All right. I was thinking like, you know, it was like something like you didn't want to train in the rain, you know, so you just get that on those days. (laughs) If it's not clear in VFR, I'm not interested. (laughs) Not, not going. You're like, nah, I'm going to Starbucks. Uh, So what made you, I guess, like, what made you want to go into the Air Force out of all the other branches? Um, Well, I was surrounded by Air Force and Navy guys growing up. So that was my influence. I actually went and looked at the Naval Academy. I didn't go out to the Air Force Academy, but you know, I had researched a bunch online. And in the end, it came down to, you know, I knew the Navy. I was going to go float around on a boat for nine months at a time with 5,000 other dudes. Um, and that just didn't sound that appealing to me. So <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, too, I knew that the Air Force had more planes, a yeah. greater chance of flying fighters. Um, and I felt like it was a better fit for me for what I wanted to do in the long term. I always heard that the Navy had more airplanes. Maybe they do. I doubt they do. The Army has like the most with all that number of helicopters they have. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, the Air Force has F-16s, F-15s, Cs and Es, F-22s, F-35s, whereas the Navy, they have F-18s and now they're getting F-35. Right. So there's a lower variety. And that's just like the fighter force. You know, they're not talking cargo, tanker, bomber. They don't have all those. They have a couple different airborne control assets, but they're few and far between. And again, you have to land on a boat, which I mean, I'm a big fan of like the 10,000 foot runway, not the (laughs) 300 foot runway. That sounds insane. That's a funny story. Uh, When I landed my first landing on a, on a jet, you know, um, I came in, I landed kind of hard 
And my captain was like, oh, you must have been a Navy pilot, you know, <laughs> trying to catch some wires, huh? And I was like, I just looked at him like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah, the Navy, I mean, it's got to be a transition because they don't know how to flare. They just like, mm, I'm going to crash on this spot. <laughs> like short field landing, just <laughs> yeah. plomp. And rightfully so, but yeah, hard pass. So the reason why I ask, it was kind of a funny story. I was stationed down in Miami when I was in the Coast Guard, and we used to pull into Key West all the time. I was something like around 21 years old or something. We were at a bar, and I see this group of guys, and I start chatting them up, and I'm just completely making stuff up. I don't know anything. I'm, I knew I wanted to be a pilot. So I'm just trying to impress them. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go into the Air Force. I'm going to be a pilot someday. And... All of them had suggested, you know, maybe you should go into the to the Navy. They have a lot more airplanes. You could probably get into flight school a little bit easier. And I'm like, what do you know? You look like a banker. You look like a lawyer. What what, what do you do? Oh, we're F-18 pilots in the Navy. <laughs> so my tune changed super fast. I was like, open mouth, insert foot. Oh, my God. Hi, guys. <laughs> Tell me everything you know. And actually, they ended up being super cool and um, gave us a flyby on our boat the next day. Cool. Yeah. The Navy's got to have more helicopters, I would imagine, than the Air Force. That's got to bump their numbers up a little bit. Yeah, yeah for I sure. think so, right? We don't have that, we don't have that many helicopters in the Air Force. Yeah. I mean, we, we have them, but not that much. Have you ever flown a helicopter? I was actually my first assignment. So what, a commission... And then we had to wait to go to pilot training. I waited 15 months to go to pilot training. So I was a lieutenant assigned to the 41st Rescue Squadron down in Moody Air Force Base. So HH-60s, which was awesome because I was a lieutenant. I had no other responsibility other than to stock the fridge with like soda and (laughs) snacks, make sure those were filled. And then I got to fly around and shoot the gun. It was awesome. Um, But I've I've flown a Lakota, a brief like one-for-one exchange which was kind of cool. It was counterintuitive. You guys can appreciate, at least for me, I'm like, Oh, I want to slow down. So I'm like pulling my hand back, but you know, like the collective, I guess, then you're climbing. So like yeah. it took me, took me a little while to get used to it. And apparently the Lakota is pretty easy to fly or so say all the chief yeah. warrant officers who've been flying Blackhawks for 25 years. Yeah. That's what they say, man. Yeah. yeah the Lakota uh, for the, for everybody that will be listening, uh, the Lakota is in, uh, EC-145 for everybody that's out there, those VA nerds out there looking it up. (laughs) (laughs) EC-145. Or is it AV? AV nerds. (laughs) First of all, is the demonstration team in the Air Force the same thing as the Thunderbirds? Or are you guys two different? Two different entities. So there's the Thunderbirds, right, which is six F-16s at flying formation. And then there are four single ship demo teams, the F-35, F-22, A-10, and F-16. And so those demo teams kind of fill in the gaps where the Thunderbirds can't go. Cause you can't send Thunderbirds every single weekend to every air show. It's a lot of air shows. So we send those other teams and I would say the single ship demo, you know, it's kind of going out there and really showing the raw performance. And if you compare the F 16 demo to the Thunderbirds, F 16s and F 16s, you know, my objective was to go out there and try to rip the wings off the plane every single weekend, right? Just max perform it. Whereas you're not flying in formation with six other jets. You can't do that. And then the cool part of about the single ship demos, I think the best part is the heritage flight. So at the end of the 15 minute demonstration, each one of those fighters, modern fighters is going to rejoin with a World War II or Vietnam era fighter. And you're going to showcase the Air Force heritage past and present, 70 years of American air power, all in one you know, 30 minute window, which is pretty cool. Like to me, 
Uh, I fell in love with a Mustang when I was a little kid. My grandfather was a B-17 gunner. Um, and just knowing what the P-51 did for us in the war and turning the tides and then be three feet from its wing in a modern fighter flying around in an air show is like, it's a surreal experience. So, yeah, true, man. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I'm yeah. very fortunate, very blessed. That's for sure. I would say so, man. That yeah. that sounds pretty wicked, actually. I'd rather do what you do, you know, <laughs> than be on the Thunderbirds. I thought it was like a Thunderbird show, but yeah, no. I mean, I never. I was never a Thunderbird. Um, and what they do is incredible, and it's awesome work, and they do really good stuff for our nation and recruiting. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of fitted flight suits. I really don't have a fitted flight suit type body. But for me, it was really cool. <laughs> the, the, the demo team, you know, it's you and 10 maintainers and you guys become a really close-knit entity yeah. pilots and maintainers usually don't get that kind of relationship because you're walking out the jet you go fly you come back maybe some small chit chat but then it's on the debrief and then on to plan the next one like there's just no time mm-hmm. but in the demo world especially the single ship demo world you guys are just a integral small knit close-knit team that you get to go travel the world and showcase american air power which i think is pretty cool and the best part and also, there was no fitted flight suits. That was a plus for me. I don't know what you're talking about, John. Major, you could totally rock one of those things. I could see it. It was I like, could... God, God, put it away. Sit him back. <laughs> is that is that who's flying the Thunderbirds? I'm yeah, wow. Man. I'm just kidding. Rough on his body. <laughs> Did, uh, is there a wish list when you go into the Air Force on like what aircraft you want to fly? Yeah, everyone has hopes and dreams, right? Uh, but it comes to the needs of the Air Force. So, you know, right place, right time, right qualifications. And when it starts out on pilot training, you can show up and there are no fighters in your class. And then four weeks later, there's five. So that comes down to the right place. Um, you know, obviously, if you do well and you get a chance to put your first choice and that's available, then maybe you're lucky. But there are some that there just are no fighters or there are no C-17s or whatever they want to do. And they're, they did really well in pilot training, but the Air Force always gets the first vote. You get a little bit of say, I think, to make you feel good about yourself, but ultimately it's going to come down to really? the Air Force needs. Yeah. Dang, man. I think I would, I, if I could choose, if I was in the Air Force, I think I'd want to be an A-10. I would want to do yeah. the Warhawk. I think you know, out of pilot training, that's what I wanted, actually. That was my first choice. I oh, wanted yeah. A-10 and then I put first assignment instructor pilot because I was like, well, if I don't get an A-10... If I'm a FAPE, then I'll get another look in three years. And that's what ended up working out. I didn't want to be an F-16 pilot out of pilot training. All the F-16 pilots I was around, I would say, were not the people I wanted to be around. <laughs> and then I did a King Air deployment uh, in, that, in that FAPE tour out to Afghanistan. I was surrounded by F-16 guys who were all phenomenal. I was like, oh, it turns out they're not all like the dudes I know from pilot training. The mission's really cool. The dudes are really cool. And so I switched as a FAPE. I put Vipers first when I was leaving my FAPE tour. It was fortunate to get it. But shooting the A-10, shooting that gun would be pretty sick. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know, man. It sounds like a lightsaber. You know? Yeah. Like, I say like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a really good I was just like, I was just like, America. <laughs> so much freedom, you know? <laughs> freedom. <laughs> All I can think about is that movie, Team America. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Everybody out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> you know, you know. Looking at your accomplishments here, uh, honestly, I don't even know where to start. You were the leader of the F-16 Viper demonstration team for the Air Force. You've flown over 960 combat flight hours, 128 combat missions, medals on medals on medals, and now you fly for a big air cargo company flying 777s. The thing I'm most proud of, I in my whole Air Force career would be my deployment. I love the Viper demo team. That was phenomenal. I got to do some insane stuff from flying over the Super Bowl, flying over the Indy 500, racing over the Indy 500. Who gets to do that? But when it comes down to it, you know, what I joined for was to serve. So my F-16 deployment, that was, again, comes down to right place, right time. Operation Inherent Resolve. It actually wasn't even a named operation yet. That was the fight against ISIS. Is this, um, the, before you keep going, John, uh, I want this story to start off with like, so there I was, knee deep in shit. And I know you're not in shit, but I mean, like, that's a pretty <laughs> good hook. You know, if I'm listening, I'm like, dang, I'll be like, shut up, kid. I'm listening to my favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, guys want a good, you want a good war story or you want a shenanigans war story? No, what you man, whatever you got, man. I just want, I just want, you know, a good one. Whatever you got. Yeah, my deployment was the highlight of my career, right? That's why I joined and served was to go deploy. Right place, right time. ISIS showed up on the map and our squadron was already deploying to go do a training deployment. But as we were spinning up for our deployment, again, ISIS appeared. And now what's the world going to do? Well, we're going to go fight them. Um, And so instead of going out and just kind of doing a show of force and a training deployment in the Middle East, now we're going to go to combat. So that's all, again, all I wanted to do was really go back and get the people who were responsible for 9-11, not, not same, you know, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. Ties to it, but yeah. going there and getting people who are doing evil stuff, um, which was an incredible deployment. Yeah. But I would say, uh, there I was knee deep yeah. in shit, <laughs> you know, operation inherent resolve, uh, doing a lot of good work. Our squadron did dropped the most precision guided weapons of any unit in F-16 history. And then when we changed out, the next unit dropped more and more and more. Like it was just a really busy time. So there's a lot of cool stories in there, but I always tell, uh, I think people, the highlights and the good stories, I'll say one because aviation podcasts and similar, like I'm a very experienced pilot at this point. We actually forward deploy to a place that we don't go to normally uh, supporting some people that, do some incredible things for our nation that you never hear about. We're down there, we're sitting alert for them and they're, they're conducting the operations, getting bad guys, but we're there in case stuff just really goes sideways. And when we're sitting alert, you're put into a status where maybe, Hey, emissions going down, you guys need to be in your gear out at the ramp and you need to launch within 15 minutes to you're going to sit in the jet engines, not running, but you can take off within about six minutes. So we were in the sit in the jet, be ready to go. So then the bell gets rung and we're off the races, right? Like this is again, like, you know, stuff's happening. Um, so everyone is just, yeah, you're just amped. Huh? I bet ready, ready to go, man. Like it's time to go do it. Um, we scramble, we launch in about three minutes after we launch, we get canceled. So mission gets terminated. <laughs> now we've, wow. we've taken off from the, this relatively remote spot. That's not a very well-prepared area and doesn't, it's not used to having F-16s, right? So they're like, you know, you're used to like these really nice runways, nice precision approaches. 
None of that really exists. The controllers, I would say, in the weaker side of the controlling category, right? So it's not a strength. Um, it's night. We've taken off and we go out there like me and uh, my flightly were talking like, well, we got all this gas. What do you want to do? Like, let's do some dive glide attacks on these boats out of the water. Like, obviously, we're not going to drop weapons on them, but we're going to do practice, right? So make a couple people shit themselves? Yeah. <laughs> no, no idea. I mean, they're probably bad. They shouldn't have been there. Um, but we both roll and we do these dive glide attacks. So we're about 8,000 feet, and the dive glide attack is meant to roll in. You dive like 15 to 20 degrees, nose low. You acquire the target in the targeting pod, and then you're going to release the weapon. You're going to check away from it, and you're going to laze the weapon to hit. We both do one attack, and this is, I mean, pitch black, darker than dark. Um, we both do one attack, we recover, and we're like, you know what? I can't tell if it's boats or stars. I can't tell if the stars are boats. There's no horizon line. This is kind of dumb, so we don't want to go pack it into the ocean. Um, so we're like, hey, I'll tell you what, we got a lot of gas. Let's just do two 360s and afterburner and just try to burn down some gas because we're heavy. We got... 2,000 pounds of bombs and 2,000 pounds of missiles. The jet's really heavy. The runway's crappy. So all these things are going into it. So we do two laps and we burn down our external fuel tanks. And we start heading back to land. So I'm number two. I'm in a radar trail two miles behind my flight lead. He lands and then I land right behind him. So as I land, again, this is the jet's relatively heavy at this point, but it's not excessive. The way this runway is designed is pointing at the end of the ocean, which looks like a black hole. There are, again, the lighting system on the field is not great. It's there. But what I see, obviously, is his jet. And then down at the end of the runway, I see the blue taxiway lights off to the right-hand side for the last taxiway. In most Air Force bases and most, I mean, big fields in the United States, that last taxiway usually aligns with the end of the runway nine times out of 10. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm conditioned to. So in my mind, I'm seeing this, I'm assessing my speed. I'm seeing the black hole at the end of the runway. And I'm, I just, I'm jam on the brakes. So, uh, I think I'm going to go off the end of the runway into the water. Yeah, I, yeah. everything it's got, I'm trying to stop it. I smoke both sets of tires, which First time I've ever done that in a jet was uh, hot brakes and pop boat tires. Uh, it's not like an incredibly uncommon thing to do, like popping tires and hot brakes and F-16, but this is completely my fault, right? And what it came down to, again, I'm an experienced guy at this point. Um, been doing combat ops for the last like three months. And this is a very basic thing, right? This is airfield study 101. We've been in this location for about a week and a half, focused purely on the mission spin up and the supporting the guys we're going to do. But the most basic thing was just airfield study. Looking at that airport diagram, <laughs> that taxiway <laughs> was 1,500 feet from the end of the runway. But I still had another 1,500 feet plus overrun. I never looked at it, right? Because um, this place was so poorly designed that if you use the full runway length or if you're taking off in that direction and you needed full runway length, you would have to back taxi on the runway. Like that's just incredibly inefficient and none of our runways are set up that way. So, I mean, for me, that is a story that I think lends as a reminder, like no matter how experienced you are, like you can very easily paint yourself into a corner, right? And it's the basics. Yeah. Um, 
flying at night, I flew at night a ton, right? And that's one thing that if you ever get comfortable flying at night or if you get comfortable flying in the weather and you think you just have this doped out, like that's when you need to slap yourself mm-hmm. um, because that's when you're going to kill yourself doing it. And I'm, I, I found myself like, oh, sweet, flying at night, another night sortie. I got this, right? And I would have to like slap myself because that's when you're going to kill yourself. I got crazy stories of like buddies who have like rejoined on cell phone towers on departure, things like that, that could have ended really quickly, but there was a, like a last minute aha or recognition uh, of it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it doesn't matter like how, you know, these are experienced guys and girls. Um, so for me, that, that, that was, Dude. that was my non-sexy, uh, <laughs> combat. That would scare me thinking I'm like, I'm like, Oh crap, that's a taxiway. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you're like, Hey, this is it. This is not going to end well. You know, are you going to jump out of the jet? What are you going to do? So Broken yeah, arrow, a, broken oh, arrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually made that taxiway. So by the time I stopped and turned, once I turned onto the taxiway, uh-huh. I realized that the tire, like one tire popped. And then the second tire, the fuse plugs and F-16, just like, you know, big jets. So I felt the fuse plugs go on the other tire as well. So then I just stopped and there wasn't a whole lot going on at that airfield. So it wasn't that big of a deal. You just have to call maintenance and get your toe in. It's purely just a bruised ego yeah. uh, when it comes down to it. So yeah. what did your amigos tell you after what did your uh, flight lead? I think he was thinking the same thing. He did not, he had hot brakes, but he didn't pop his tires didn't pop. Yeah. Uh, so he wasn't on the binders as much as I was there, but I think it's one of those things, you, you know, there are those that have and those that will. And anyone who gives you grief or if you give anyone grief, like when they bend metal or they do something stupid, like you're the next person to do it. So um, I think we're really good in the fighter pilot community is, you know, own, like own that mistake. The, the biggest thing, the biggest foul would be is to not tell that story, right? Or not own up like this is what happened because you're learning from everyone else. And it's not playing, I have a secret, you know, we're used to doing debriefs, like as a squadron, like on Friday, like if someone did something bonehead, a bonehead move, like a, something really significant, they would stand up on Friday and they would, they would say that, right. And no one judges them for it because it could be you. I mean, yeah. again, I know really experienced guys who have either they've, they packed it in or they've come close to packing it in because it was just like a, it was a small, Very. it was a small error or a small mistake or their yeah. brain processed yeah. something differently. Uh, so again, yeah, it's one of those things. Now, if you do it repeatedly, like you're going to get a call sign out. Of it. Right. <laughs> you're going to get a call sign. You're going to get that call yeah. sign that takes hot a couple breaks. of beers to get hot yeah. breaks. Hot breaks. That was, hot breaks. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like putting myself in, in that position when you're flying over the water and not knowing which one's boats and what's stars. I mean, that, that could be super disorienting. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. The, I mean, uh, on that deployment, we, we lost one of the guys in our squadron to spatial disorientation and it was, it was on an ILS approach. But again, I don't think I've seen darkness like that. Like it is yeah. just so dark out there that you can't even like, describe it. And he got disoriented and he landed short of the runway. Um, and it's kind of, again, he's an experienced dude and it kind of goes back. It's, I mean, it's back to that whole thing. Like, you know, we all make mistakes that cost him his life, obviously incredibly unfortunate. Um, but it's like one of those things that the more you do it, I think the more I realize 
just how fragile life is and how quickly it can go sideways, you know? So yeah, attacking boats in the middle of the night when you can't tell where the horizon is, is one of those that goes in the category of maybe we should not do this. So we're in the decision-making process. That's what, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what we, we say all the time. We're like, whenever someone says something like, you know, and then, you know, we did this, yeah. it was pretty dumb. It's like, so we're in the decision-making process. <laughs> they started that this. was okay. <laughs> yeah, we, ca- we, ca- we captured the mistake. We're just like, mm, this is dumb. We should not yeah. do this anymore. You went through the first hole of the switch. Right. Yeah, it's like, boom. <laughs> yeah, You're like, was, all right, we're not going back in. Yeah. This is not going to work out well. Not going to work out well at all. But hey, you you figured it out and you deviated from the plan. And that's what's right. important. And you're still around to tell the tale. Right. So that the decision-making process worked. Man, attacking boats, man. I would have myself if I was on one of those boats. And I just like, you know, I'm sure you don't hear the jets coming until you like break away or something. But that moment it probably breaks away, I probably would have had a heart attack. Well, yeah, I a fun that. story. I think I flew over a boat in demo up in Rhode Island. In full afterburner at about 15 feet. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was in like it was in the it was in the traffic pattern and the tower after he goes, that guy's now awake. I was like, yeah, he probably is. <laughs> <laughs> you see them just diving yeah. off the side, just like <laughs> I couldn't imagine what that was like. But it probably if you especially if you weren't paying attention. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of those stories. I know uh, there were a lot of good little gems in there for us as aviators, a lot of important lessons, right? Like number one, always um, going back to your basics. Don't forget to look at your airport diagram, remembering those things uh, from when we first started flying to always staying humble and remaining the student. Like we're constantly learning and improving and learning from other people's mistakes, which is huge. And Something that I really like about the way that the industry has been going is a lot of companies have been implementing that just culture. And for those of you out there who don't know what just culture is, it's basically um, a concept relating to um, pilots having a safe environment to come forward and admit when they make mistakes uh, without fear of being reprimanded by the company that they work for, which creates a culture of safety within a company, which is very, very important in aviation, obviously. I worked for a company a while back that really led with fear every single morning. There was an hour-long meeting about all the different ways that you could get fired that day And that created a really dangerous work environment because it created this situation where people wouldn't want to come forward, you know, if they dung that helicopter on the side of the hangar when they're putting it back or oversped the aircraft um, because they feared that they would lose their job. And, you know, you're not the only one that is flying that aircraft and someone else is going to fly it after you and then someone else is going to fly after them. So you're not the one necessarily putting yourself in danger of that like fatigued engine or the dinged blade. Um, someone else is going to be flying the aircraft after you. So it's so important that people are comfortable with coming forward when they make mistakes. There was um, a story from another company that I worked for, you know, in the A-Star and the EC-130, the FedEx in there record up to like 30 maintenance logs. So if you oversped or over torqued or overdid anything, then it would record it. There was a story about a guy who sat out on the ramp and he 
did like 30 starts and stops of the helicopter to try to erase the fact wow. that he oversped the machine. <laughs> yeah. And I think there was some maintenance guy there late night and was like, who the heck is out there starting and stopping the helicopter so many times? And it was because he was trying to erase the overspeed or, or over torque or whatever he did to, to that helicopter, which is super bad form, obviously. Yeah. So this girl- We're said, all human. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. My uh, first landing um, that I, well, it's funny. I say I have a lot of first landings, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> now that I think about it, but like, <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, man, there's a lot of first landings I had. So this, this landing, was in, this, landing. One was, this one was in a helicopter, but I, I was already experienced, you know, but um, where I was landing was in the Canyon and the, the ground was slopey to say the least, you know, <laughs> it was very uneven. So like all my pilot friends are watching me land and I, you know, I thought I nailed it at first, but it was a little rocky, you yeah. know, and everybody was like, yeah, you did all right. <laughs> you know, this chick sends me a text later that day and it's Kermit the frog looking out the window and it's like raining out there. And it says, it's like a meme. And it says, do you think about your landings? Like your landings think about you, <laughs> you know? Or do you think that bad landing is thinking about you as much as you're still thinking about it? Yeah. And I, was, I was just like, that was your first, that was your first time landing in the grand Canyon. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, forget you. I was like, forget you that was a rocky landing. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, we're in the Rockies. Duh. No. Yeah. yeah. We're in the Rockies, duh. <laughs> so something that we all, um, I guess the three of us have in common is, you know, a common goal to spread and share a passion for aviation and get more people involved and get more people excited yeah. about it again. Um, and yeah, I guess all, all three of us have been very fortunate during this time to not be the ones um, furloughed and um, having essential jobs. Um, so yeah, we're super grateful over here as well that, that we still are flying and getting to do the thing that we love, but you also have a podcast, the afterburn. Yeah. How's that going? You know, I couldn't spell podcast like a year and a half ago. Um, (laughs) so I had really low expectations when I started it, but it's, it's doing really well. And it's kind of like we just mentioned, I think, uh, podcasts are a great medium to to get the word out there, right? And to to share aviation, to share different stories, bring people together. And that's been like, that was a whole goal for me. And I think it's going well, like so far, I plan on to keep doing it. And I think it's really cool to see more people get into the space to do this. Because one, it's like the self-licking ice cream cone. When you get people to do it, like it's just going to keep growing. Uh, because it's getting the word out there, people who find an interest in whatever genre. And if it happens to be aviation, usually once they find one, they want to find another one because there's just no way to produce enough content like for each one of us, you know, uh, and everyone's gonna have a different perspective. To, so hearing those and bring those all out, I think is really cool. So yeah, totally. My, yeah. Mine's a little bit more military, like focused, you know, like right now we'll see what it grows into, but it's obviously aviation centric. I got a couple of guys on there. like a former green Bray who lost his legs with a pressure plate IED. But oh, I met when I was out in California in an air show and I was learning to surf. I never surfed, but Caleb Brewer. So he's one of the episodes I have. I'll just say this, like I'm out there and I am floundering. Like just, I am, I'm going to die on the surfboard. Oh, <laughs> no. ass off. And Caleb's over there surfing. Yeah. Right. And I would say, 
I had a slight advantage over him because I still had my legs. He didn't, but like his attitude, his dedication, like it was just like phenom- phenomenal human being, like hearing his story. So it's like capturing those stories and bringing them out. Like guys like that, who I'd say have an excuse to say, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to chill out. Like complete opposite. Like he's, he started a gym for adaptive fitness. I mean, he's like just crushing it. Right. And he is, he has some significant hurdles to overcome. So it's yeah. cool getting those stories out there. Yeah, man. That's nah. super inspirational. Yeah, it is. Well, God bless yeah, you, your like, friend, man. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're like now I was like, I have no excuse not to go to the gym. You know, when you're yeah. wake up, I'm like, I feel bad about whatever, like poor pitiful me. I'm like, I got, I got no excuse. Yeah, can't play that little tiny violin for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you wear the wetsuit? Because I know you expressed. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, oh, what's he doing? That's terrible. Not wanting to squeeze into a flight suit. So So full circle. It was was survival mode. It's so cold out there. It is so cold. Well, before we completely close out here, is there any... Uh, last remarks that you want to tell our listeners, any words of inspiration or um, advice um, that you'd want to close out with? Yeah. You know, I always ask, I ask my guests that same, same question. I always refer to like, Hey, if you found your 16 year old self on the street, what would you say? And it's cool to hear those different perspectives for me. Um, I think it's something there's no like one set path, right? Everyone's gonna have a different path. If you really want to go do something, you have to pursue it. And if it's a profession like aviation, like it's not going to be easy. There are absolutely going to be hurdles, um, but you have to have the fortitude to push through and it's going to be easier for some versus others. Like that's just a fact. People you're in training with, they're going to breeze through and you're going to get stuck on this or that. Right. Um, but you have to focus on pushing through to get to the end objective. Mm-hmm. And while you do that, being a good dude or do that, um, yeah. because you need to bring other people up with you and that's going to make you a better person. But ultimately, and I, I mean, obviously this is like, I would say like a core foundation of the military aviation, right? Like you're always going to be fighting in an element with another wingman or multiple wingmen, right? So you're a team, but I don't think that changes no matter like where you go, right? Like you're going to have people that are going to back you up and you're going to be able to support. But if you are not a good person and you're always looking out for yourself versus looking out for others. Um, you're not going to get as much out of it. And I don't think you're going to be as good. Like maybe you're just the the savant, but most likely you're not. So mm-hmm. be a good person. Yeah. Agreed. Heck yeah. That's been kind of the. Been like man, our motto. That's been our motto. Yeah. Just be kind, be good. And yeah, just be a good dude or do that. Yeah. And it'll get you so don't far. Be, yeah, don't be so, a douche. Yeah. It's so easy, <laughs> but. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's. Yeah. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt and (laughs) don't be that guy you know or girl don't don't be that person that everyone's like come on man maybe that should be instagram i don't have i don't have any social media so like maybe that's what i should put on my like tagline (laughs) don't be (laughs) everyone's been coming out of the woodwork just you know talk uh, reaching out to jose because he doesn't have any social media and everyone always gives him crap for it and they're like when did you start a podcast (laughs) you don't even have an instagram dude i like it going against the grain yeah yeah i was like man you know witness protection's tough (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then i started a podcast that wasn't the smartest thing but you know (laughs) 
<laughs> I use a pseudo name. And his address is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. Contact my Instagram for more information. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Before you go, uh, I just want to say thanks for your service, Amigo. Like, man, that was, a pretty, that was a damn good story. So, yeah, sure. like, yeah. yeah, you didn't disappoint. <laughs> yeah. It only cost two tires. Yeah. <laughs> you used your line. Yeah, and you used the line, man. Yeah. yeah. The Air Force, we do, we do, you know, there I was, and everyone says, no shit. And you're like, yep, in the shit. And then you tell your story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, John, for taking the time and, and talking to us. And this has been such a blast. I can't wait to get this out there and continue to spread the word, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. Super fun. Yeah, for sure, John. Appreciate it, man. And fly Absolutely. safe in those those big boys. <laughs> yeah. One spot no. to the next. Just Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening in. We appreciate all of your support. We hope you took away some golden nuggets from Major John's experience. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead, depending on the app you're listening on. Give us a follow. Leave us a review. Give us some stars. Throw us a comment. We'd always love to hear from you. Have a wonderful day. Kick ass and go fly. Check it next time.